What is a disciple? We're, um, we're just kicking into a uh, series called uh, Family Likeness for this term. What is a disciple? What would you say? It's a bit of a weird word, right? Because no one actually uses the word disciple much anymore. Now, when the project actually first started, and you'll notice that we've got some retro kind of uh, branding of the project uh, out the back on our kind of A-frame sign, and it says down the bottom there, Making Disciples of Jesus. I remember a, uh, a leader, a Christian leader in town driving past when the project started seven and a half years ago. He saw the sign, thought the name of the project was great, and then he just said, ah, the mission statement, you know, like making disciples of Jesus, like, you know, and it's a thing, right? It's a thing in the Bible, but in, in our culture, it's not really that much of a thing. And of course, it was our mission statement, so he was wrong and we were right. Um, but it's, it's prob- he was probably right. He was probably right that it's a word that doesn't get thrown around very much, at least not in a positive sense. Um, and I can see a little bit what he uh, was actually talking about a little bit. But what, what is it? I mean, it pops up in the Gospels and in the book of Acts quite a bit. What is, what is a disciple? Well, in a very plain kind of sense, a disciple is a pupil of a teacher. It's a learner. Now, it wasn't uncommon back in the Greek world that you'd have these smart guys these smart people and all these little disciples that run around after them. I always kind of think about registrars in hospitals, you know, where they have their little posse of people that run after them and want to learn all the wonderful things that they know. Uh, that's kind of the, the, the disciple kind of concept. Uh, Mark chapter 2 verse 18 tells us that John the Baptist had disciples. Uh, John 9 verse 28, the Jews, the religious people said, we're disciples of Moses. That's what they said. Um, a disciple was someone who adopted a philosophy or some kind of religious outlook of their master. Now, one thing that you would notice if you know your Bibles a bit is this, is that the Bible does violence to cultural categories. And usually what it does is it takes a cultural category and makes it really, really big. Let me give you an example of it. If you get into the back end of, uh, of the New Testament, especially in the letters, the epistles there, you actually find the notion of household talked about talked about a lot especially by Paul he talks about God's household uh, which was a pretty big thing in the Roman world I mean the whole of the empire of Rome was considered to be Caesar's household so it was it was a thing that was kind of happening in the culture at the time and what Paul does is he takes it and he blows it up and he makes it even more significant and I think this is what Jesus does with the concept of disciple he takes it it's pretty straightforward and he blows it up and he makes it way bigger and way more significant than the cultural category that it originally started as. And the critical thing that you notice as you read through the Gospels about uh, discipleship and about disciples is generally Jesus is interacting with three different categories of people. Um, There's a really clear category of people which I'm sure you've heard that Jesus interacts with and that's the religious people right this is just basically they just kind of go at each other a fair bit Jesus is really correcting him and got some pretty harsh words to say to them because they're just not in a good place that's one group of people another group of people in the gospels that you see is there's a crowd right and the other group of people <laughs> that you see in the uh, in the gospels is uh, is a disciple disciples or in a broader sense disciples not the 12 disciples but an even broader group than the disciples now the re- come back with me again you, know, you look at the religious people mostly they're opposed to Jesus but there's exceptions right you remember uh, 
when uh, Jesus is being crucified, a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph came to look after the body. And it specifically says in Matthew 27, 57, he was a disciple. And when you see over and over in the Gospels, you see the crowd, right? And they're just kind of hanging around. And sometimes I think the crowd are a little bit like a man who's gone shopping with his wife and he's not really into it. Have you ever seen it? They're just kind of, they kind of do the emu thing. And they just, they kind of look at it. And you look at him and you just go, he's not into it. He actually doesn't want to be here. He's just having a bit of a look around, see if there's anything he can get out of it. He's not really committed to this thing. And you get that sense from the crowd, right? The crowd are just kind of hanging around. Is there something we can get out of him? But we're not actually that committed to him. We're not really into him. And then you get to the disciples. You know, these are the people who have been called by Jesus to pay a cost. You know, and there were the 12 disciples and then there were other disciples. Can you go to Luke chapter 6, verse 13? Luke chapter 6, verse 13. I'm looking for a thrill seeker that's happy just to read this one out. Luke chapter 6, verse 13. Who wants to read it for me out really loud? Thanks, Sarah. No, that'll do. That's cool, right? Did you get the point there? There are a whole bunch of disciples and then he looks like he picked 12 out of the whole bunch of them. Now, you could do a study and it'd be really worthwhile doing a study of the notion of who the disciples were through Matthew, Mark, Luke and John because you'd actually be quite fascinated by it. There's these pool of people that were called disciples of Jesus and then the 12 that were kind of pulled in really, really tight and, and had a very specific call by Jesus um, to be really close to him. Um, one of the things that you notice uh, in the Gospels is Jesus is constantly calling the crowd to become disciples. That's what he's doing. He, he calls the crowd, like, come and be a disciple. And he's inviting them regularly. Now, here's the question. How do you do that? Like, what's the criteria for transitioning from crowd into disciple? Now, the bottom line is that in terms of us here today, I don't know, it may be that there's people from each of those groups here today. Maybe. Just doing the religious thing, the emu thing, the crowd thing, just kind of having a look, you know, is there something in it for me? And, and then those of us who God's really calling, it's like, he's called us into something. So what, what's the criteria for actually becoming a disciple? You know what the criteria for becoming a disciple is? It's complete and total allegiance and loyalty. Did you hear what I said? Complete and total allegiance and loyalty. Now, in the middle part of the message today, you just you need to feel the weight of this, right? Because it is heavy. The stuff that Jesus says that you have to do to qualify to be a disciple is really, really intense. And we ought not dumb it down. You know, I mean, we're going to read a scripture in a minute, right? And there's probably some of you in the room who, as we read it, are going to go, oh, surely there's another version that doesn't say that. All right? 
And we start going through versions, and then we go, look, I'll, I'll write it myself if I have to. <laughs> and you know, the, the section of Scripture that we're going to read is, is pretty much, it uses this offensive word. 80% 80, 80 of translations use this offensive word, maybe even more. So, in your Bibles, turn to uh, Luke chapter 14. Yeah, there was a thing in churches, right, about churches being seeker-sensitive. Does anyone remember that? It, Jesus is not, really, very much at all. He's not very seeker-sensitive, all right? Luke chapter 14, I want you to see this with your own eyes, so look it up on your phone or in your, the Bible that you've got there. We're going to start at verse 25. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Now, <laughs> I didn't write this. I didn't say this, all right? This was not my idea, okay? You just need to know if you want to get on the Jesus train, this is what you need to do to get on the Jesus train. Is everyone with me? So don't, don't shoot the postman, all right? That's all I am. I'm just delivering mail here. I didn't write the mail. This is what Jesus says. Now great crowds, this is verse 25 of Luke 14, now great crowds accompanied him. He's a celebrity preacher, right? He's got it done. Like everyone's getting around. There's probably thousands of people there. It's like he's got a mega church. What are you going to do now? You've got your mega church. You've got thousands of people following you. What do you do now? Well, he's just a party peeper, right? And he turned and he said to them, listen to this, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even hates his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Do you do that? Yeah. Don't bother going for another translation because every other translation pretty much that's worth anything uses the word hate because that's what, that's what Jesus is saying. Now some of you go, well, I hate some of my relics, I could do that. <laughs> not like that, all right? <laughs> that's not what he's talking about. What, what is he doing? I mean, I often wonder, I think, what are his minders doing at this point in time? It's like, hey, Jesus, can you just come here for a sec? Like, I, did you just notice there were like 5,000 people and they were loving what you said and they thought it was great? And like, seriously, you, you really want to use the word hate? Like, you really want to go? You're going to kill this crowd, man. They're all for you. You're just going to kill it. Does he save it? You can have a bad start, right? You can have a bad start and you could say something really harsh, but let's see if he saves it in the end. Verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Not yet. Uh, for which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost of whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? 
still not saving it. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Verse 33. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce, what's the next word after that? All that he has cannot, cannot be my disciple. Now, it's frustrating, right? Because he's putting all these words in there that you want to footnote, right? You want to qualify things and it's like you can't, you just kind of, it's, it's really hard to footnote all. Is anyone with me on that? It's like if all kind of means what? All. Yeah. And cannot means cannot. Like you can't do it. Oh man, he's a bit frustrating, isn't he? It's like you want to do this thing. What is he saying? You want to do this thing, you need to be all in and you have to be all in with me. It's a crowd killer. It's a crowd killer. Now what is Jesus saying? Is he actually saying that we need to go out and hate on our families and our husbands and our wives? No. Because he talks about loving people, right? What Jesus is saying is the allegiance and the loyalty that you give to me relative to your family, it's going to look like you hate them because you give me so much loyalty. Now, who here knows that if you love Jesus and you give your full and complete allegiance to him, that sometimes that's going to create problems in your family? Who knows that? It's true, right? Listen to what John Piper says about this. He says, following Jesus often introduces ambiguity and sorrow and pain into family relationships. Listen to it, Piper. If you're looking for a religion that will make all your relationships clearer and smoother and happier, you'll find a great obstacle in Christianity. I heard this from a uh, preacher from the village church. I can't even remember. This is in a village church in Texas. I can't even remember his name, but he he made this comment, and I think it's so true. Everyone wants to be saved by Jesus, but not everyone wants to follow him. All right? And I think this is part of the reason why. Because you've got to kill yourself and take yourself out if you're going to follow Jesus. All of your desires, all the things that you want to do, you've got to take it out. Do you want in? Don't answer too quickly. Do you want in? And if you said yes one day, do you still want in? Because it's going to cost you everything. And you can't get in unless it does. It has to. It's Jesus before your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters, your own life, everything that you own, every every desire or aspiration you have for the rest of your life. It's Jesus before all of that. It's Jesus before your happiness, your comfort, It's Jesus before air conditioning, before a good bank balance.
My, uh, my dad used to say, he was a preacher, my dad used to say that, uh, he goes, I know a lot of Christians have one foot in one world in Jesus' kingdom and one foot in the world and they're not happy in either. And I reckon that's true sometimes. Now, would anyone here like some good news? <laughs> Let me give you some good news. You're going to lose your life anyway, whether you give it to Jesus or not. Okay? It is. And you know why that's good news? Because if you give it to him and you lose it now, you get it back and you get it back in spades. So it's, it's actually not, in one sense it's a hard decision, but it's actually, in another sense, it's just not hard. It's, it's not hard at all. If you don't love Jesus today and you haven't given everything to him, hear me out today, you are going to lose it all. And you'll lose it forever. So we're doing a community service today, right? We are. We're doing a community service and we're saying, you know what? The best gig is for you is to just to lose it all and give it all to Jesus. Isn't that what this says? See, I didn't, I didn't read you the whole section out of Matthew 16 when I put that up. And the reason why is because I wanted you to see the good news. Here's the good news. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. But for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You want to find it? Lose it. Give it away. You know what we're seeing here? What, what you see here is, uh, in this verse, I think, is a demolition before the restoration. Jesus is not just calling for you to come and learn something from him in the classic disciple, Greco-Roman kind of idea of disciple. He's not just calling for you to learn a new behaviour. He's calling for 100% heartfelt allegiance, that you're his, that you trust him, that you give way, that you stop trying to save yourself, you stop trying to make your life go the way that you want it to go, you stop trying to save it. I see it everywhere, right? I see it in myself. You see, if I go back to this scripture here, do you know, I can see times for me, and it's not just in an ultimate sense, where, where whenever I'm trying to grab onto my life and to save it, it slips through my fingers like sand. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? It gets messy and it gets dark and it gets ridiculous and I don't see things I need to see. I hurt me, I hurt other people, and I actually start to live out the reality that the person who was trying to grasp onto life actually loses it. But I'll tell you something, and this is a personal testimony from me, the moments when I give it all away, life comes rushing in like a flood. Can anyone put their hand up and say that's true? Okay? So like, let's not be so... Like, I don't want to insult you, right? But we're pretty dumb sometimes, right? So like, can we just get to this death thing a bit quicker? Like what? You know, I feel like a lot of death in my life of just giving way to myself is like some kind of Hollywood movie, you know? It takes about 15 minutes to die. It's like if I could just die in the first five seconds, everyone would be a lot happier. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? You just keep God's kind of going, I want you to give that thing to me and I want to have priority over that thing and I want your allegiance and your loyalty to be, be to me over that thing and I just fight it and I just go, no, 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 I think I'm going to find a way to have you guys work together. It's going to work really well, you know. I'm going to be able to have all this money and I'll have you as well. I'll have all this, 
property and I'll have you as well. Or I'll have all this happiness and comfort and you as well. And all the while there's a mixed allegiance going on there and he's saying, die to that. (laughs) Die to it. And give your allegiance, your 100% loyalty and allegiance to me. Now, we, we could go into the ways that you could apply this, right? But I think you know the stuff at the moment where Christ is calling you to give him your allegiance. You know where the battlegrounds are for you. I don't, don't think I need to tell you that. Now, following Jesus and giving your life to Jesus is always better. But you just have to be careful about how you define better. It's always better. Your circumstances will not always be smooth. Jesus is clear about that. You know, how many, how many times have you been in a Christian thing where someone's come forward and they wanted to give their life to Jesus and the person counselling and says, well, just hold on a minute. I think you should go and think about it for a couple of days. Because <laughs> that's kind of what Jesus just did in the passage we read out of Luke, right? It's like, whoa, just hold on a minute. Because you just got to think about that because this is a deep and this is a heavy thing that you're doing here and it's a really significant thing. So when Jesus comes to you, when he comes to me and he says uh, that he wants our full allegiance to die to self, to die to the things that we want, it's going to cause a bit of trouble. Maybe in your family, maybe even just in your own life because you're going to break some allegiances that you have to yourself that are going to upset things. And who knows that sometimes we humans just want the happy ending, right? You just want the fairy floss. Like, I want the fairy floss. I want the packet of Tim Tim Tams that doesn't run out without them rotting my teeth. I I just want the good stuff. I just want Easter Sunday, I don't want to have to do Good Friday. You know, if, if you want a resurrection, you need to have a death. <laughs> have you noticed that? Well, you just have to have a death. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, don't try and save your life. Don't just try and get, you're not going to get resurrection Sunday by trying to grasp at it. You've got to die. You want a good testimony or you need a test? (laughs) Multiple tests. You want the degree? You have to do the hard work. You want the good marriage? You have to work at it. There is nothing in this world that is good that doesn't require some kind of death to get it. And Jesus is all over it, right? Because you know what he's saying? (laughs) Just start with me and die to everything. Let's not prolong the death process here. Let's just die to it all and give yourself fully to me. Now, the question, if you're anything like me, if I was sitting there listening to me, is the question I'll be asking. I cannot trust him. death hurts right and it's not like I don't like losing stuff do you like losing stuff you guys doing okay 
Do you like losing stuff? I mean, death is not actually meant to be fun. You know, I've been under general anaesthetic before and the doctors come along and they say, you could die under general anaesthetic. I'm just going, that would be the coolest way to go. All right? Yeah. <laughs> hey, Jesus, what are you doing? I thought I was just getting the procedure done. Death is not a happy space, right? To release everything and for a moment have nothing it feels is intense, isn't it? It's, uh, it's jumping out of a plane with a parachute on and free-falling and thinking, I'm sure I packed the chute properly. It's that, it's that moment of free fall of like, is, is someone going to catch me? Is Jesus going to catch me? I've just died to everything. I've just given it all away. Is there really life on the other side of me dying to this? So it's going to come down to who you think Jesus is, right? It just will. Can you trust him? And I'm not asking for a theological, yeah, I know all the scriptures about, you know, you can trust Jesus and he's really good. I'm talking about an up close and personal, do you trust him? Even, even right now with whatever it is or whatever the things are at the moment that you're having a battle about, whether you actually want to give your allegiance to Jesus or you want to have allegiance and loyalty to yourself and the things that you want, even in those things, like do you actually trust him that it's going to be okay? some more good news Jesus is not asking you to do anything that he has not done okay and in fact it's the way that Jesus has gone about his stuff that even makes it possible for you to have a life that can be saved think about what what is what is discipleship about discipleship is about being like the one that you're a disciple of, it's adopting their way of life, it's imitating them. Jesus enlarges, it says it's about total, 100% life, loyalty and allegiance. If those are some of the key categories for being a disciple, is Jesus not himself the ultimate disciple? Isn't he? Look at this from Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, Jesus, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Listen to this statement. Is this not at some level like a kind of discipleship statement? He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He just nails it. All right? He just nails it. Colossians 1 verse 15 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's, he's, he's a replica of the Father. That's what he is. But he's not just even a rep, replica or a false replica. He's kind of, in essence, is just kind of in the hood there with the Trinity, the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And it's genuinely just, just part of it and living that out. Look at, look at what he says in the Garden of Gethsemane before the cross in Luke 22. Father, if you are willing... Remove this cup from me, 
nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. <laughs> He's a good disciple, isn't he? He follows the Father and he gives his total loyalty and allegiance to the Father. And I want to say this to you, if Jesus didn't do that, if he didn't give his total allegiance and loyalty to the Father, you would never, ever, ever eternally be able to find your life again. It would go and you'd never get it back. Even if you went to Jesus, if he, see, here's the thing. If he never died on the cross for you, if he didn't maintain his allegiance and his loyalty to the Father and pay the sacrifice for all your sins, you know what you could do? You could actually go to him and you could say, Jesus, um, you know, look, I'm really sorry. I've, um, I've got all these things wrong and I've got that wrong and I've got that wrong and I wasn't, I didn't give you, even though you're the creator of everything, and you're, you're, you're the God, the only God. I didn't give you my allegiance or my loyalty. I, I just gave it other things and I wanted to do these other things first, but I'm back. I'm back, baby. All right. I'm back better than ever. And I'm just going to give my life to you. And I'm really, look, I'll, I'll lose it for you right now. And you could even be genuine about that. And you know what he would, have, you, you know what he would say if he hadn't died on the cross for you? It's too late. Too little, too late, buddy. Sorry. You're done. You're cooked. You blew it. You know, it's 30 years. You just lived for yourself, did your own thing. Yeah, you blew it. That's, we're done. See ya. That's all that happened. Even worse than that. You get this? This is, this is really good news. <laughs> Jesus is not asking you to do something that he hasn't done and the fact that he nailed it and, he, and, he, and he, he, he stayed true to the Father, he stayed the image of God in me and he, he gave it up, he gave all of it. He, he, was he not, what, did he not carry his cross? Like literally? And do you know something? He did a kind of radical discipleship that you'll never have to do you know why because he got separated from his father and god promises you that in everything that you do and everything that you lose and everything that you give in loyalty to jesus that you'll never ever do it alone even when it feels alone you will never ever be alone he will be with you the whole way through why have we got that we've got that because jesus carried his own cross he lost his life he gave it away he got nailed to a cross and as he was nailed to the cross a breach came between him and his father relationally and that means it's never going to happen to you it's like locked in right lock it in eddie right like it happened right it's like it's locked in he's never gonna leave you hanging If Jesus was not the disciple par excellence, we would be eternally stuck, literally. But he was the disciple par excellence, wasn't he? 
and the result is that we can be saved. Jesus was also the one who said, what does a profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet he forfeits his soul? There's no sense in that. He speaks a lot of sense, Jesus does. Because he was such a great, the ultimate disciple, you get saved. Well, the option's there anyway. A uh, fellow called Wilkins wrote a book about the bib- a biblical theology of discipleship. That's where I want to finish. We're going to transition into communion in a minute, but uh, here's where I want to finish. He makes this comment. This is a paraphrase of his stuff anyway. Living a fully human life in this world. Discipleship is living a fully human life in this world in union with Jesus Christ and growing in conformity to his image. That's what we're doing this series called uh, Family Likeness. You see, Jesus is the image of the Father, right? There's a family likeness. And you know, every single person that, he, that he's created bears some family likeness anyway, but when they come to him and they become part of his family, they start to take on his likeness. They start to look like, like him. And we all, I mean, we're just a weird bunch, right? Has anyone noticed that? Christians are a bit of a weird bunch. We're kind of weird in similar ways. You kind of get together in a church and... People have got their eyes closed and they're putting their hands up in the air to something they can't see. You know, now on, on one hand, you just kind of go, well, that's a bit weird, but it's like, no, what actually happens when you get in a family is you all start looking a bit the same. And that's how it's meant to be. <laughs> and I think that's what the discipleship is meant to be. It's like we just start to take on the family likeness more and more. And how can we do that? We can do that because Jesus did it. He has the family likeness and as we get joined to him, and we walk with him in the details of life, we start to look like him, we start to look like the Father.